It's time for the February 23, 2024 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on Skip the Straw Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Rick Kaspar. And, as always, sipping on his mint julep, Mahler, the deep fake news dog. <laughs> uh, well, you know, when you're sipping on a mint julep, yeah, yeah. you don't have time to mess. Yeah. yeah, You don't have time for small talk. It's just a waste of time. Today time. we'll be talking about Sponge City, the wrath of a holy god, student loan forgiveness, Alzheimer's stage one, a chalk, a line, and so much more. But first... I want to apologize for a mispronunciation I made last week. I said Ludite when I should have said Luddite, like you said. More importantly, I'd like to mention Brian Merchant's new book, Blood in the Machine, which points out that Luddism, not Ludism, was not against technology, but for the rights of workers in the face of automation. The first Luddites were artisans and cloth workers in England who, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, protested the way factory owners used machinery to undercut their status and wages. At the time, some businessmen started to use machines that unskilled workers, many of them children, could use to churn out low-quality, cheap crap clothing. Kind of what we're doing Kind now. of what we're doing right now. Yeah. While the price of garments fell and the industrial economy boomed for the rich, hundreds of thousands of skilled working people fell into poverty. They petitioned Parliament and appealed to the industrialists for minimum wages and basic protections. The government and business leaders turned them down. Many of the skilled workers organized under the banner of a Robin Hood-like figure, Ned Ludd, and took up hammers to smash the industrialists' machines. The Luddites won the approval of the working class and were celebrated in popular songs and poems, but the government mobilized what was then the largest ever domestic military occupation of England to crush the uprising. Wow. Then they passed a law that made machine-breaking a capital offense— Death to anyone who would hurt a machine. They painted Luddites as deluded and backward, and ever since, Luddite has been a derogatory word, shorthand for someone who blindly hates or doesn't understand technology, when in fact, Luddites were skilled craftsmen who didn't want to be replaced by machines. Thank you for that. Thank you for that and the history lesson of how, over time... With enough effort, you can completely distort and contort the reality of what happened in our history. I'm going to project a little bit here, and that is, that was probably, I'm sure, was some of the justification for the rise of communism and Marxism, was oh, just what be. you're describing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's where Marxism came from, from England and the yeah. Industrial Revolution. That's so, where Mr. Marx is buried. Yeah, yeah. So. And I also can't help thinking about writers and AI and artists and yeah, AI and yeah. so many professions right now yeah, and exactly. AI. It's not like we're against the technology of being able to complete complex equations quickly so that we can get to cures in medicine and other places where we need fast work. Right. But in the meantime, 
let's not kill everyone's jobs off. And also so that we don't turn this technology, as you're describing, AI, some version of that, into something that becomes an overlord of our human rights and of our ability to organize politically and to move this human experience forward in some way. Speaking of AI, from BBC Innovation News, as companies increasingly rely on artificial intelligence-driven hiring platforms, many highly qualified job candidates are finding themselves without a job. That's because the companies use AI screening tools, AI recruiting software on job applicants. There's body language analysis, vocal assessments, gamified tests, CV scanners. Job applicants face these prompts, these machine prompts, and AI decides whether they're a good match or fall short. A late 2023 IBM survey of more than 8,500 global IT professionals showed 42% of companies were using AI screening to improve recruiting and human resources. Another 40% of respondents were considering integrating the technology. So we're talking over 80% were in on this. Many leaders across the corporate world hoped AI recruiting tech would end biases in the hiring process, but AI selection algorithms are often trained on just one type of employee, which means candidates with different backgrounds or credentials or have the wrong body language or don't mention the right keyword or have the right smile or eye contact or facial characteristics may be screened out. Teaching to the test is what it sounds like. Exactly. From The Guardian, Eliezer Yebkowski, a lead researcher of the nonprofit Machine Intelligence Research Institute in Berkeley, believes everyone soon will be dead and they will be murdered by rebellious, self aware machines. We have a shred of a chance that humanity survives. I have a sense that our current remaining timeline looks more like five years than 50 years, he said. By remaining Timeline, Yudkowsky means until we face the end of all things brought on by AI. Yudkowsky was a founding father in the development of AIs. He has come to believe that these same AIs will soon evolve from their current state of amusingly smart to too fast and too ambitious for humans to contain or limit. Don't imagine a human-made brain in one box, Yudkowsky advises. To grasp where things are heading, he says, try to picture an alien civilization that thinks a thousand times faster than us, in lots and lots of boxes, too many for us to feasibly dismantle, should we even decide to. If you like to listen to music and talk that hasn't been programmed by a machine, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because we're human. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI, 88.9 FM. read the Bible, Mike? How about you, Molly? Did you ever read it? No. No? Nobody? (laughs) (laughs) Not him, that's for sure. And you didn't either. No, I mean, I've read parts of it. I've read, I've had to. I'll tell you what I've read. The Catechism. (laughs) 
That's it. Is that uh, even the Bible? That's, no, that's, that's the Catholic the, That's Bible. the Catholic version yeah, of the right. Bible. Well, okay. that's the Catholic version of the New Testament. Yeah. The, yeah. the Catholics really aren't all that hot for the, uh, for the Old like Testament. They're like Mormons with better costumes. With, with armies. Yeah. We had armies. Yeah, you had armies, yeah, too. Yeah, so, yeah. In Exodus, locusts were the eighth and tenth plagues inflicted on Egypt where the Israelites were enslaved. Here's a little bit of Bible for you here. Okay. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. That's from Exodus. That's what locusts will do. Sounds like AI to me. Yeah. Well, they're bugs. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Good. And they're interesting, yeah, too. Yeah. Locusts are various species of shorthorn grasshoppers that have a swarming phase. In other words, they're just grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. Locusts is more of a state of mind. Oh. They are usually solitary, but under certain circumstances, they become more abundant and change their behavior and habits, becoming gregarious. They swarm, and the swarming has been found to be associated with increased levels of serotonin, which causes the locust to change color, eat much more, become mutually attracted, and breed much more easily. So basically, it's party time for yeah. the uh, grasshopper. For the hopped-up grasshopper. Yeah. From Science Advances, according to a new study, locust swarms could soon expand to new regions in South and Western Central Asia as the erratic weather patterns brought on by burning fossil fuels create prime conditions for the insects. Between 2065 and 2100, desert locusts' range could expand by as much as 13 to 25 percent as a result of cyclical droughts providing the hot, dry weather where locusts thrive, and occasional heavy rains, which allow their eggs to incubate in damp soil. The food security and livelihood of millions of people in India, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, and Iran would be under threat, the researchers say. In those countries in particular, they estimate new hot spots of locust swarms to emerge as the world is altered by climate change. Failure to address these risks could further strain food production systems and escalate the severity of global food insecurity. So, locust. Yeah. We got them coming. <laughs> wow. It's kind of biblical. It is. Get ready to take some good TikToks. <laughs> From the journal Nature, Ecology, and Evolution. Non-native earthworms have colonized much of the North American continent, posing a threat to native ecosystems, a recent analysis reveals. Great. The research, yeah, earthworms of all things, yeah, too. Now we have to worry about earthworms. Yeah. Well, non-native ones. Yeah. Researchers relied on data spanning from 1891 to 2021, which showed that non-native earthworms are the dominant species across 73% of the continent with 28% of North America now devoid of its original earthworm species. Overall, the researchers pinpointed 70 unique species of alien earthworm, the majority of which originate from Europe and Asia. The use of earthworms for fishing bait and the sale of vermicomposting materials are partly to blame. Vermicomposting is using earthworms to churn up the, yeah. the mulch and all that. Earthworms are often seen as positive forces in their native habitats, but the researchers point out that non-native species can have the opposite effect. The invaders' slow movements and feeding habits can cause soil compaction that precludes plant growth, reduce biodiversity, and enable invasive plant takeovers. 
Because it's virtually impossible to remove established populations of alien earthworms, the researchers wrote, the best management option is to focus on prevention and early detection. That's it? Yeah. So There's no real way to get rid of them once they're in the ground, unless, I mean, you just kill everything. From Los Angeles Times. For decades, a graveyard of corroding barrels has littered the seafloor just off the coast of Los Angeles in the San Pedro Basin. They were out of sight, out of mind, until a team of researchers came across them with an advanced underwater camera. Startling amounts of DDT near the barrels pointed to a little-known history of toxic pollution from what was once the largest DDT manufacturer in the nation, the Montrose Chemical Corporation of California. However, federal regulators determined that the manufacturer had not bothered with barrels. So these barrels were not filled with DDT. They just dumped the DDT straight into the ocean. Yeah. The Montrose uh, Corporation did. Now, scientists have concluded that instead of DDT, the barrels may contain low-level radioactive waste. Yep. Records show that from the 1940s through the 1960s, it was not uncommon for local hospitals, labs, and other industrial operations to dispose of barrels of tritium, carbon-14, and other similar waste at sea. Yeah. I can tell you from my time at L.A. County Public Works that one of the reasons why we were near the Palos Verdes area, which is where you're describing, yeah. was because that whole part of the coast has been sliding towards the ocean for eons. Yeah. It's been in a slow but steady movement towards the oceans. And one of the things that caused us to know about that was exploring the waters off the coast. The basin. The, the basin. And they basin found... Off they, Palos Verdes. And yeah. this was, you know, now eight years ago. They found a whole bunch of those barrels... And now they've continued to do the research and work, and obviously that's what the story's about. In fact, Trump's golf course that he bought along the coast there, uh -huh. 18th hole basically slid right off its foundation towards the coast. But there's a whole area over there that is moving, really moving towards the ocean. Now, it's not directly offshore. It's, you know, maybe 50, 60, or 100 miles offshore in the basin. Okay. But... but at the same time, they were finding it, pollution. It, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't just stay. Yeah, there. yeah. That's, that was that was around. the issue that we we came across. From Wired, earlier this month, a long band of moisture in the sky, an atmospheric river, dumped nine inches of rain on the city of Los Angeles over three days, over half of what the city typically gets in one year. Yeah. Yeah. In three days, yeah. it's the kind of extreme rainfall that will get ever more extreme as the planet warms. The city's water managers, though, were ready and waiting. Like other urban areas around the world in recent years, L.A. has been transforming into a sponge city, yeah. replacing impermeable surfaces like concrete with permeable ones like gravel, pavers, dirt, and plants. Amen. It has also built out spreading grounds where Amen. water accumulates and soaks into the earth. With traditional dams and all the new spongy infrastructure, between February 4 and 7, the metropolis captured 8.6 billion gallons of stormwater, enough to provide water to 106,000 households for a year. For the rainy season in total, L.A. has accumulated 14.7 billion gallons. 
Long reliant on snowmelt and river water piped in from afar, L.A. is on a quest to produce as much water as it can locally. And this is really great news. And and you can help, too. You don't need to spread concrete everywhere in a driveway. If you can do it, put pavers down. Amen. Over the course of the build-out of Southern California, we paved over everything, including the river which is a, so another part of this equation that you're describing, and that is they're starting to unpave parts of the Los Angeles River. They're starting to unpave some of those areas, which is allowing it to percolate down into the groundwater. The bad news is we're going to continue these atmospheric rivers, and some version of this is going to be more regular in the future. However, we cannot rely on the Colorado River anymore. The Colorado River, as opposed to us, is getting less rainfall yeah. than it's gotten and less snowfall than it's gotten in the past. And so, and we were getting, I think, over 40 or 50 percent of our water from the Colorado River. We're beginning to make that transition. By the way, I just saw a story yesterday under parks now. They're beginning to develop these man-made aquifers. And between conserving water... And planting yes. the right plants, That's right. getting rid of vast expanses of stupid grass like golf courses yeah. and just ornamental grass. Right. And by developing these aquifers, yeah. we might have a chance to uh, survive Yeah, here. native plants, non-invasive species, all those kinds of things all matter. And we hopefully will get to a critical mass, a point in which all of those things will begin to really impact our ability to hold on to water. I think it's happening right now. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. From The Baffler, an opinion piece by Thomas Gagan, when running for re-election in 2020, Trump repeatedly claimed Democrats would try to rig the election with fraudulent mail-in ballots. When pressed for a direct answer on whether he would accept the election results, he said he would have to see. Trump's assaults on the election system can lead to violent election interference, as we saw on January 6, 2021. In the future, we need a new guardrail for presidential elections. Every state, blue or red, should require that as a condition for being on the ballot, the presidential candidates and their electors shall pledge under oath not to hinder or threaten the state's election workers in the discharge of their duties and not to threaten directly or indirectly the use of violent or non-legal means to challenge the legitimacy of the election. In addition, when direct or indirect threats have been made, the state in its discretion may require those candidates and their electors to post a bond set high enough to cover damages and expenses that the state or its election workers may incur from use of such violent or non-legal means and could recover an appropriate fine or penalty. Would such a law be constitutional under the First Amendment? Yes, it's one thing for an ordinary citizen to call for the violent overthrow of the government, absent conduct, and quite another for a candidate who acts by design of the Constitution in a state-regulated process to refuse to abide by that process. The single most important way to defend democracy in our country and around the world is to require candidates to say directly whether or not they are in it. And that was a opinion piece uh, from The Baffler by Thomas Gagan. Well, couldn't agree more. The I mean, election that's... outcome pledge is what okay. I call it. From the Civics Center, 
California and New York allow for voter pre-registration at the age of 16. The new data shows, though, that neither state is fulfilling the promise of these laws. In California, only 12.7 percent of 16- to 17-year-olds are pre-registered to vote. In New York, only 18.3 percent of 16- and 17-year-olds are pre-registered. About 1,250,000 students who could be pre-registered to vote in these two states haven't pre-registered yet. The rates are so dismal, they suggest virtually no concerted effort to implement high school voter registration in the state's most populous regions, despite legal requirements in both states to do so. We have to get out there and encourage younger people to vote. And honestly, I don't blame them for backing away from the system with the way things have gone over the last several years with these backward policies by Republicans that are winning and just the ugliness that they've caused, it's no wonder that young people are backing away from registering to vote. This begs the question, how about universal registration? If you're a citizen in the United States, you should automatically be able... I don't know if I wish everyone would vote. I want people who are... yeah. Don't. And, paying and, attention and, and, to vote. And maybe the problem is, is not that many people are paying attention. And I think that that's no, what that's... these figures show, that not that many people are paying attention. Uh, you can learn how to support nonpartisan student-led voter registration drives in your high school at the civiccenter.org, the civiccenter.org forward slash y hyphen high hyphen school. So why high school with hyphens? <laughs> Just go to the civiccenter.org. They'll get you there. <laughs> Honestly, I Mike, I don't know if I'd want universal. I, I know, Because I, then I know. it would just elude everything. I want people to be interested. Yeah. There must be a percentage, but I would assume it's around 70 to 80% of people in your country really interested in what's going on and paying attention to the politics of it to have a accurate and good, fair democratic vote. Otherwise, you have a situation like you have now where Republicans are relying on a crazed voter base that believe that everything's being taken away from them and the only way that they can survive, the only the only one who can save them. Yeah, is a cult leader. Yeah. From Huffington Post, the Alabama Supreme Court. God. You know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children. It... Re- <laughs> The first time I heard that, I had to read it twice. I was thinking, well, there must be some hitch to this, you know. This can't really really be happening. But it reversed Middle County Circuit Court Judge Jill Paris Phillips' decision to dismiss a lawsuit in which a couple sued an Alabama family fertility clinic and hospital for the wrongful death of their frozen embryos in a ruling that was riddled with theology. It's fundamentalism. I wouldn't even call it. It's, it doesn't deserve to be no, no. theology. It's, it's religious fundamentalism. The couple's frozen embryos were destroyed after a hospital patient who accessed the freezer that held the embryos no. dropped them on the floor. Yeah. The ruling is filled with fundamentalist BS and means that the couple can sue for wrongful death. The ruling pointed to the Alabama Constitution, Section 36.06, which argues that each person was made in God's image, meaning each life has an incalculable value. I guess mine does, too. And I say you're full of it. Anyway, (laughs) meaning each life has an incalculable value that cannot be wrongfully destroyed without incurring the wrath of a holy God. That's in their constitution. That is really scary. 
I want to know, isn't my constitutional right to incur the wrath of a holy God? Don't I have that right to incur the wrath? Yeah. Yes. I, I would wonder. I, yeah. I would think yeah. I do. You do. You... Section 36.06 recognizes, this is the decision again, recognizes that this is true of unborn human life no less than it is of all other human life, that even before birth, all human beings bear the image of God and their lives cannot be destroyed without effacing his glory. That was legal issued yeah. Yeah, that judgment. Was, that was out of this. That was, that's you quoting from the actual. Uh, yeah. Effacing his glory. His glory. His glory. Again, right there, don't there's... I have a constitutional right to efface his glory? I would think and, I do. That's why we call this place. Yeah, the land of the free and the home yeah, of the brave. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a freedom of conscience to be able to express what it is you think and be able to do what it is you think without harming others. Yeah. First of all, the big lie is that we're a Christian state. That's a lie. Yeah. The other thing is, with the abortion issue, the Republicans are losing elections all over the country. This is one that cuts across both ways. My sister had in vitro, and Mike Pence started his family with in vitro fertilization and is on tape in an interview saying how important it was to him and his family to be able to access this technology. Yeah. So th there's a whole range of people for whom in vitro is a sacred, <laughs> that's probably the wrong word to use, but a very important part of the options available to people who want to have a family. Correct me if I'm wrong. A reason to outlaw in vitro fertilization? Is this a rationale well, for doing that? Well, it lead to that. It certainly, the, the well, what company in their right mind would enter into this business knowing that if some lab assistant knocks over a, a you know, something, that they're all on the hook for attempted murder or murder. Yeah. The Medical Association of the State of Alabama previously warned that such a ruling could bring about harmful consequences for fertility treatment in Alabama. The increased exposure, this is them speaking, the increased exposure to wrongful death liability as advocated by the appellants would, at best, substantially increase the cost associated with IVF, in vitro fertilization. More ominously, the increased risk of legal exposure might result in Alabama's fertility clinics shutting down and fertility specialists moving in other states to practice uh, fertility medicine. That was according to a brief filed by the group. From the Associated Press, President Biden began emailing more than 150,000 student loan borrowers enrolled in his signature repayment plan that their debts, $1.2 billion in total, will be forgiven. The administration has forgiven about $138 billion in student loans for 3.9 million people, largely using existing relief programs. The latest data relief targets people enrolled in the Saving on a Valuable Education SAVE plan and makes good on the administration's promise to accelerate forgiveness for people who borrowed lower amounts of money to attend college. Rather than wait 20 to 25 years for relief, through other income-driven repayment plans, enrollees in the SAVE plan who borrowed less than $12,000 can have their debt wiped clean after 10 years of payments. So it, they're paying this off. Yeah. It's not like nothing ever was paid to the yeah. low lives who, yeah. Good who on you, Joe. put the loans through, who gave them the loans. Yeah. And now we're going to have a better economy on account of this and a better understanding that there are dubious 
educational Absolute, institutes out absolutely. there. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, Joe Biden. You promised to do it. You were blocked by the courts. You found a way around it. Good for you. And for people who are who are getting relief from all of this craziness, the debt that cannot be dispensed with. It's a it's a debt that will follow you the rest of your life. You cannot go to bankruptcy court. This is unique. Student debt is unique among debt. And this is this is nuts. What you it, what has happened to so many people because of it. From the New York Times, a startup is building a new class of satellite whose cameras would, for the first time, be able to zoom in on you and spy on you from space. We're acutely aware of the privacy implications. Topher Haddad, head of Albedo Space, the company making the news satellite, said... This is a giant camera in the sky for any government to use at any time without our knowledge, said Jennifer Lynch... General Counsel of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who in 2019 urged civil satellite regulators to address the issue. We should definitely be worried, she said. Based in the Denver area, Albedo Space has 50 employees and has raised roughly $100 million, plans to launch its first satellite in early 2025, ultimately with a fleet of 24. Investors in Albedo include Breakthrough Energy Ventures, the investment firm of Bill Gates. Albedo's strategic advisory board includes former members of the CIA and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, an arm of the Pentagon. The company's website makes no mention of imaging people or privacy issues. So it's all just happy. They're going to go up there, oh, yeah. have these satellites, and, no well, save the world because they'll be <clears throat> yeah. able to fly over disaster areas. Yeah, somehow. Oh, yeah. What could go wrong? Today, the most powerful civilian imaging satellites can differentiate objects on the ground as small as about a foot in diameter. Albedo aims to leap ahead by imaging objects as small as four inches. That became possible because the Trump administration in 2018 took steps to relax the regulations that govern civil satellite resolution. At that time, Technology Review and MIT magazine said that satellites will be able to watch you everywhere all the time. Jennifer Lynch of the Electronic Frontier Foundation said her discouraging experience with satellite regulators a half decade ago suggested to her that little would be done to mandate a protection of privacy from the eyes in the sky. Albedo and its backers, she added, are operating with blinders on and do not see the ramification for human rights. Between that and Pegasus, you know, that Israeli company that's created uh, software that can break into almost anything that you own uh-huh. and monitor your behavior. Oh, boy. Between those two things. Party on. Well, I'm just trying to think of a way around it. I don't know what you do. Well, there's going to be bugs we can throw into the system. So they'll be watching like AI images of us. Oh, we, it won't really yeah. be us. Maybe so. It'll just yeah. be little... AI creatures Mm -hmm. running around doing proper things while Mm -hmm. we're out raising hell. (laughs) Which one of these is actually Nathan Callahan? From Los Angeles Times, last summer, a panel of industry and academic scientists announced a plan to radically expand the definition of Alzheimer's disease to include millions of people with no memory complaints. Those with normal recognition who test positive for elevated levels of certain proteins that have been tied to Alzheimer's but not proven to cause the disease, would be diagnosed as having Alzheimer's stage 1, the panel members explained. 
plan could be approved by the panel and published in a medical journal early this year, a move likely to be influential. A similar proposal in 2018 to help guide research on experimental Alzheimer's medications was quickly adopted by the Food and Drug Administration and is frequently cited by doctors, scientists, and health insurers. Standing to benefit from the new category of Alzheimer's Stage 1 are the pharmaceutical and medical testing companies who employ seven members of the 20-person panel. At least seven more members of the panel are academics who receive money from those pharmaceutical and medical testing companies for consulting or research. The American Geriatric Society called the panel members' financial ties to the industry wholly inappropriate. The society warned the proposal could lead to overdiagnosis of Alzheimer's and subject people to treatments with limited benefit and high potential for harm. Those people would move to Alzheimer's stage two if they begin to experience neurobehavioral difficulties like depression, anxiety, or apathy, symptoms often unrelated to Alzheimer's, even if the patient's cognition is unchanged. So the thing is, the studies have shown that people with no memory problems who are told they are positive for abnormal levels of amyloid or tau proteins can suffer from depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide. What's going on is the cure becomes a disease. Yeah. They're told that they have these things and they're in Alzheimer's stage one. They become depressed yeah. because they heard that they have that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have these proteins. I've, wonder, I've always wondered so about they, that. So they're moving on to Alzheimer's stage two, yeah. even though nothing's changed except they've learned that they have the proteins. From United Press International. For the first time since the last of the Apollo missions in 1972, an American spacecraft reached the surface of the moon, a significant step toward the National Aeronautics and Space Administration's plan to eventually return astronauts to our closest celestial neighbor. Yay! From Smithsonian, astronomers have found the brightest known object in the universe, a glowing core of a galaxy, a quasar named J0529-4351, located 12 billion light years away. That means that light took 12 billion years to get here, so that's what we're looking at, mm -hmm. determining it's a, the brightest known object in the universe. Wow. The gargantuan object stretches about seven light years across and is more than 500 trillion times brighter than our sun. Amazing. 500 trillion times brighter. Are they sure? Not 490 trillion, maybe 510 trillion? I don't think your Ray-Bans would do any good. <laughs> Quasars as a whole are the brightest objects in the cosmos, each consisting of a supermassive black hole that's actively devouring an orbiting disk of gas and dust. The black hole in this record-setting quasar is gobbling up more than a sun's worth of mass every day, wow. making it the fastest-growing black hole scientists have ever seen. And finally, <sighs> and finally... The AI tool ChatGPT was struck by an embarrassing glitch and started answering questions in nonsense. Gary Marcus, an AI expert and emeritus professor at New York University, said ChatGPT had gone berserk. These systems never have been stable. Nobody has been able to engineer safety guarantees around them, he said. Mm -hmm. In one post, in an answer to a simple question, ChatGPT said, A day... 
a high, a chalk, a spark, a line, a kin, a vire, a vein, a buyer, a buy, a ben, a balk. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.